Ragbag presents I Like the Sound, a celebration of the sound of things. I like the sound. I like the sound. I like the sound. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. A celebration of the sound of things. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. I like the sound of worn-out Velcro attempting to seal itself. I like the sound of a fingernail searching for the edge of the sellotape. I like the sound of a child who's been surprised by a pop-up book. I like the sound of a child's hand rustling its way to the bottom of a box of Lego bricks. I like the sound of a calm sea. I like the sound of an empty hoover bag. I like the sound of litter being blown in a circle by an unexpected wind. I like the sound of someone talking to themselves when they think no one's listening. I like the sound of a cat who's simultaneously purring and scowling. I like the sound of a dog walking in sync with its owner. I like the sound of a rusty saw on a rusty nail that swings ever so slightly when you open the shed door, but not enough to fall. Here's a quote from Small Gods by Terry Pratchett. One of the recurring philosophical questions is, does a falling tree in the forest make a sound when there is no one to hear? which says something about the nature of philosophers because there is always someone in the forest. It may only be a badger wondering what that cracking noise was or a squirrel a bit puzzled by the scenery going upwards, but someone. Anyway... What did the Big Bang sound like? No one was around to hear that, right? This recording of the sound of the Big Bang was created by physicist John G. Kramer from the University of Washington. Mr. Kramer took the measurement data of the cosmic microwave background, CMB, from ESA's Planck Space Telescope and converted the energy frequencies into audible sound. Audible sound. What did, what did, what did, what did the Big Bang sound like? What did, what did, what did, Here's a story from January 2014 from fizz.org. The record for the longest duration echo in a man-made structure has been decimated by a single shot from a blank loaded pistol, an amazing 
112 seconds. The oil storage tank was one of six buried in the highlands at Rossshire just prior to Britain's engagement in World War II. They are connected via tunnels and were intended as a storage depot for fuel for warships stationed at nearby Invergordon. The hope was that if Britain entered the war, fuel for the warships would be protected from long-range German bombers. The echo test was conducted by Alan Kilpatrick, an expert on the history of Inchindown, the official name of the oil storage tank facility and Professor of Acoustic Engineering Trevor Cox. Kilpatrick fired the pistol about a third of the way into the huge tank, while Cox did the timing from a third of the way from its end. The result was a noise that bounced around inside the tank for close to two minutes before dying out. The long echo has been recognised by the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest ever inside a man-made structure. The fuel tank is clearly very large, able to hold over 25 million litres of fuel. It's long too, about twice that of a soccer field, but it's mostly likely the walls that most contribute to the amazingly long echoes. They're 45 centimetres thick. In speaking with the media, Cox suggested that the unusual acoustics in the tank might possibly lend themselves to musical compositions. His simple experiments yelling whilst inside the tank suggested that because the reverberations lasted so long, a person could actually harmonise with themselves if they so desired. Here's me talking to the singer-songwriter Kathy Lowe whose album, Above Water, used a large water tank as a means of generating sound. Uh, it's the uh, water source from my town where I live in New London, New Hampshire. It's a beautiful cross-country ski and hiking trail through the, the woods there. And you come upon the tank, and I had never done this before, but I was skiing around the tank and I saw the big circle, which is like a 14-inch diameter circle at about knee height if I stood up to it. So, and I could hear reverberated condensation drips coming out of that that hole and I thought what what is that what's going on in there so I listened and I thought what is that and I, I started to make sounds into it like whoo and my whoo lasted forever the reverb was just going on and I thought oh this is interesting maybe I'll come back and play around with singing you know, and then I, I came back and I played around with singing and I realized I could sing with myself. The notes lasted so long, I could add harmony. So I created a whole project around it. So the, the tank, in my mind and heart, is really the, the featured instrument. The tank is, is the instrument. So I had yeah. to learn how to play it, you know, to give it space so the um, reverb and the harmonies would be exposed more, like what the beauty of the tank could really do. I feel the wave around me now. I 
Feel the waves around I feel the waves around me now I feel the waves around I've also spoken to musician and podcaster Martin Auswick on a similar theme with reference to Martin's musical alias Pale Bird and in particular the album Year of the Bird in which Martin employed some very interesting recording techniques. I really like the sound of my old flat. We lived in this flat for 10 years. We got kicked out because the landlord uh, was moving back into it. I realise there's this thing you can do called impulse convolution reverb which is basically what you do is you go into a space and you set up a microphone or a couple of microphones and then you do something which is like a really sharp sound. So like if you're doing it properly, you're supposed to like fire off a cap gun or something like that. I don't remember if that was what I did. And then you record that sound, just the echo that you get when you fire off that cap gun. And that means that you can use that that file you've got, that audio file, you can combine that with any sound at all and it will make it sound as if it was in that space. So I... I can actually make. I know I've got this. I've got, so I recorded the sound of my old this this impulse convolution of my old flat fired off a cap gun, recorded the sound, and now I can make anything if I want to make it sound like it was recorded in my old flat. I can do that, and uh, I did that as well on um, when I was recording you of the bird. We were in this um, when my wife was in hospital. I was staying in a hotel in Hobart that had this big, like four four or five story sort of atrium area. And it was winter, so there weren't many, that many people around at the time. And it just had this incredible, like, long, long echo. And so I did the same thing. I went out, I put my recorder on the ground floor, and I hit record, and I walked up to the fifth floor. And I didn't fire off a cap gun, because that would have been, you know, I probably would have called the cops. Uh, I just clapped, which does the same job. And uh, and now I've got this recording, this immense atrium. I use that on a, there's a song called, um, oh, God, what is it called? Filters. That's sort of a spoken word conceptual piece and what it does um is it just gradually layers in that sound and adds in more and more of the sound of the of the space until all you're hearing is the sort of reverberance of the space as if you what would happen if a sound echoed backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards for a really long time um it's nicked off as technique by a guy called alvin lucia who did a, a sound art piece called i'm sitting in a room where he did the same thing he recorded his voice and then he spoke for a minute or two and then he took that recording and played it through a speaker and he put it on one side of the room and then the microphone's on the other side of the room so you start to hear the sound of the room. And then he took that recording and played it through the speaker and, and then repeated and repeated and repeated. What happens over time, you completely lose the sense of people's voice and the detail of their words and you just get the sense of the room, this sort of weird echoey space. I am sitting in a room different from the one you are in now. I am recording the sound of my speaking voice and I am going to play it back into the room. Um, so I was using that same thing, but I didn't have to play 
the recording through a speaker because I had this um, thing I called impulse convolution, uh, you know, impulse response, of me clapping, so I could do it in software, which is really fun. <laughs> and it, it, you know, if you listen to the Alvin Lucius piece or the thing that I did, which is as as I say, essentially the same, the same idea, um, but just with a much much bigger space, it's quite an interesting experience just to start to hear the pure acoustics of a space and lose the detail of what someone is saying, lose the information of the person and just get the information about the space. It's quite quite a fun thing to do. And then this which says There's a couple I use. There's one in like there's like a chapel in Ulm, which uh, like comes up in my reverb presets and things like that. There was a st- I didn't I never got it. I never recorded it. But in my old work, there was this co- uh, uh, stairwell that was so reverberant. Like it was such an incredible, like l- really long, really bright echo. And if I like if I tried, you couldn't have a phone conversation in it because just the reverb of your own voice would completely overwhelm being able to hear anything. It's a really cool space. I never got a I never got a recording of it. I should have done that before I left. But and if you do that with like a stereo mic pair, if you use two mics rather than just one, you can create such an incredible impression of being in in a space or the, a particular space. Um, like a lot of the time, reverb is used just as a tool to help to flesh out the sound of a voice and soften some of the harsh edges. And it's very, very useful as a singer when you're monitoring to use a little bit of reverb because you can sort of pitch a bit better. I'm not really sure where that is, or maybe it just makes your sound, your voice sound a bit nicer. But um, you can also use it as like a play, like a sort of sound design technique to place you in a particular location. And I think we're so sensitive to that. Like you could close your eyes and you can, you know, just by you know clicking your fingers, you can figure out what kind of space it is, like roughly how big it is, and whether there's a lot of soft furnishings or if it's a high ceiling or if it's very, you know, hard tiles, you can tell so much. And, uh, yeah, it's really, I think it's a lot of, there's a lot of fun stuff to be done with that that hasn't been done yet, especially as technology gets more advanced and you you can now do sort of 3D, 3D audio positioning with the new technologies. I think there's a lot of fun stuff that's going to happen in the next few years. This is taken from Smithsonian Magazine. It's by Jennifer Nelwicki. One of the most iconic buildings in the town of Hamilton, located 15 miles southeast of Glasgow, is the Hamilton Mausoleum. But it's what takes place inside its walls that makes it so intriguing. Built in the mid-1800s as a burial tomb for the 10th Duke of Hamilton, the 123-foot-tall Roman-style building was long billed as home of the longest-lasting echo of any man-made structure in the world, thanks to its sheer size and shape. In fact, a single slam of its entrance door reverberates off the domed structure for a full 15 seconds. It's likely one of the few places in the world where tour guides actually encourage visitors to slam doors. 
Throughout the day, Central Terminal in Midtown Manhattan comes alive with bustling activity as commuters rush to catch their trains inside one of the city's major transit hubs. Amid the noise though, there's one spot within the 100-year-old building where it pays to be quiet. Located on the lower level near the Grand Central Oyster Bar, the Whispering Gallery has become a popular spot for visitors to engage in a moment of conversation that needn't be at a shouting level. Thanks to the Rotunda's arched Guastavino tile work, two people can stand on opposite sides of the arch and facing away from each other and towards each wall, hold a conversation at a muted tone despite being 30 feet apart. No one knows for sure if architects intentionally created the phenomenon, but it's believed that the thin and tightly set terracotta tiles coupled with the ceiling's curvature creates the ideal environment for this anomaly to occur. Built in 1420 for the Yongle Emperor of the Ming Dynasty, the Temple of Heaven in Beijing is a sprawling complex that encompasses 675 acres. The grounds are home to a number of ornate buildings, including the Hall of Prayer for Good Harvest, a massive triple gabled structure set on a multi-tiered marble base. While impressive in its own right, one aspect of the complex that causes visitors to scratch their heads in wonder is the echo wall that encircles its iconic structure. It's believed that a number of factors are at play for creating this echoing phenomenon, including the 12-foot-tall, 213-foot diameter wall's curvature, its tightly constructed stonework and the eaves that run along its top, making it the ideal avenue for the transmission of sounds between two points along the wall. So we are here at Echo Wall and Melinda and I are trying to hear each other. You can hear me? Can you? I, I'm not sure if you can hear Melinda, but I can hear her. That's pretty cool. Say something else, Melinda. Oh, I can still hear you. Wow. Look how far away she is. Melinda's all the way over there. Hi, I can hear you, Melinda. Oh my gosh, I can still hear her. She's all the way over there, folks. I like the sound that light bulbs make when they fizzle out. I like the sound of candles being lit. I like the sound of a bag of ice cubes hitting the floor. I like the sound of a group of strangers singing happy birthday to another stranger whose name they've only just learnt and half of them get it wrong. I like the sound of a button falling off an expensive coat. I like the sound of one of those distant bangs, which may or may not be a knock at the door. I like the sound of a person with impeccable table manners slurping on spaghetti.
I like the sound of an argument, but only when it's in the distance and all you can hear is the rhythm of the thing. Space Invaders is a 1978 arcade game created by Tomohiro Nishikado. Within the shooter genre, Space Invaders was the first fixed shooter and set the template for the shoot-em-up genre. The goal is to defeat wave after wave of descending aliens with a horizontally moving laser to earn as many points as possible. Despite its simplicity, the music to Space Invaders was revolutionary for the gaming industry of the time. Video game scholar Andrew Skartman identifies three aspects of the music that had a significant impact on the development of game music. Firstly, whereas video game music prior to Space Invaders was restricted to the extremities, i.e. a short introductory theme with game over counterpart, the alien-inspired hit featured continuous music, the well-known four-note loop throughout, uninterrupted by sound effects. It was thus the first time that sound effects and music were superimposed to form a rich sonic landscape. Not only do players receive feedback related directly to their actions through sound effects, they also receive stimulus in a more subtle, non-interactive fashion through music. Secondly, the music interacts with on-screen animation to influence the emotions of the player. That seemingly pedestrian four-note loop might stir us in the most primitive of ways, but that it stirs us at all is worthy of note. By demonstrating that game sound could be more than a simple tune to fill the silence, Space Invaders moved game music closer to the realm of art. Thirdly, the music for Space Invaders popularised the notion of variability, the idea that music can change in accordance with the ongoing on-screen narrative. The variable in Space Invaders, the tempo, is admittedly simple, but its implications are not to be underestimated. Over the years, Analogous strategies of variation would be applied to pitch, rhythm, dynamics, form and a host of other parameters, all with the goal of accommodating the non-linear aspects of video games. Scartman argues, At the deepest of conceptual levels, one would be hard-pressed to find an arcade game as influential to the early history of video game music as Space Invaders. Its role as a harbinger of the fundamental techniques that would come to shape the industry remains more or less unchallenged, and its blockbuster success ensured the adoption of those innovations by the industry at large. That quotation, by the way, comes from Andrew Scottman's Maestro Mario, How Nintendo Transformed Video Game Music into an Art.
I like the sound of coffee being spilt from the platform onto the train tracks. I like the sound of a hurried, insincere apology. I like the sound I imagine raisins might make while they're drying out. I like the sound of a barocca dissolving. I like the sound of the word effervescent. I like the sound of a tiny cactus needle being twanged. I like the sound of the stone that wouldn't skim. I like the sound of someone who can't do the Donald Duck voice attempting to do the Donald Duck voice. I like the sound of someone denying something far too quickly. No! I like the sound of my relief on opening a glass jar as a favour to someone else. Now I'm superhero for the day. I like the sound of an empty Coke bottle trapped in the middle of a waterfall. I like the sound people make when they've taken something you said as a joke and then they realise you were being serious. I like it when it's so quiet you can actually hear yourself blink. I Like the Sound was written, presented and produced by myself, Frank Burton. A complete list of source material can be found in the show notes. Special thanks to Cathy Lowe and Martin Auswick, who were featured in this week's show. I interviewed both of these great musicians for my other podcast, Ragbag. Do check out the Ragbag podcast, it's a lot of fun. And it's an absolute joy to talk to people like Cathy and Martin. My website is frankburton.co.uk. I currently have three books available to buy, The Short Story Collection, A History of Sarcasm, the novel 100, and the first in the Ragbag series of novels, Everything I Am. The second one will be out very soon. The audiobook version is available on Bandcamp. Please do share this show around, subscribe, give us a rating and review. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Ragbag Presents. Follow us. Let us know what you like the sound of. Become part of this podcast yourself. Go for it.